it's all where are you at if we were having uh, lunch in Capri today we right. would uh, we would have a different so, lunch than we well, have well not terribly different we'd be having grilled fish or pasta or, or whatever pasta. But, right uh, actually we'd be having like six courses <laughs> Welcome to Lunch with Shelly, the podcast featuring conversations with colleagues, friends, family, business leaders. At lunch, here's Shelly. Welcome to Lunch with Shelly. Today's very, very special guest is Matt Brooks, a very dear friend of mine. Matt serves as the Chief Executive Officer of both the Republican Jewish Coalition, or the RJC, which is an organization dedicated to enhancing ties between the Jewish community and the Republican Party, and the Jewish Policy Center, a think tank that examines public policy from a Jewish perspective. Matt began his political career as state chair of the Massachusetts College Republicans while still an undergrad at Brandeis University in Walton, Mass. Matt managed the Just Kemp for President campaign in Massachusetts and directed projects in New Hampshire and New England as well. Matt became the political director of the RJC in 1988 and then took a leave of absence when he served as the national field director for the Victory 88 Jewish Campaign Committee, designing and implementing campaign strategy on behalf of the Bush Quail 88 campaign. After that, he went back to the RJC and was appointed as executive director in 1990, and he's been there ever since. He is a very big deal in the Jewish community and was selected twice by the Jewish Forward as one of the 50 most influential Jews in America. In addition to his duties leading the RJC, Matt also serves as the organization's principal spokesman. In this role, he has been a frequent guest on CNN, Fox News, MSNBC, and others and has been quoted extensively in publications such as the New York Times, Washington Post, the Wall Street Journal, and other major newspapers. Aside from the incredibly important work that Matt has been involved in for years, he is also a lifelong Eagles fan, a master poker player, and a total foodie, cook, and onophile, which is a very fancy word for wine lover. Of course, we look forward to delving into all sides of Matt Brooks today. I am beyond grateful that he took time out of his very busy schedule to come on the podcast. He and I have been dear friends for longer than either of us will want to admit, and I have absolutely loved all of the many lunches we've had over so many years, so I'm just over the moon that Matt's here today. Some of our best lunches have actually taken place right where we are now, which is at Matt's special booth at the iconic Capitol Grill restaurant right near the Capitol. Matt, as always, I am so excited to hang out with you. So without further ado, welcome to lunch with Shelly Matt, and let's have lunch. Let's have lunch. All right. <laughs> so, this is awesome. So, so happy to be here. As am um, I, I. I did sample your wine, by the way. While I saw. <laughs> it it, it I passes know. the test, so good choice. Well, on the normally wine. we'd be going into your um, exclusive cabinet, case <laughs> cabinet, what's it called? Uh, box. 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 But uh, today is a very sober day, yeah. as the last several days have been very sober. So 
before we get into more fun stuff, could you give us a 40,000 foot view about what's going on with the parentheses that our podcast will come out maybe a week or so from now, but tell us what's happening in the Middle East with Israel and the United States around the world. Just yeah. give us your worldview because you are uniquely poised to talk about this. Well, I mean, obviously, we gather here for lunch, as you said, with, with a heavy heart. Our thoughts are with all of the Israelis and the Americans who are still being held captive by the barbaric uh, Hamas terrorists who, uh, on October 7th, invaded into Israel uh, and brutally attacked and killed and uh, defiled uh, thousands of Israelis and innocent civilians and uh, the young and the old, babies, grandparents, indiscriminately. Um, and, you know, for, for those in the Jewish community, um, there's nobody who is not directly or indirectly impacted. As you know, we all know. Uh, we may have friends over there. Right. We have fa- Certainly we, we have family or, or friends. And, uh, and hearing and the stories... Yeah. to Israel in general. Yeah, yeah. And, hearing, and hearing the stories is just heartbreaking. So, uh, you know, my, uh, my efforts over the past week have been to make sure that, uh, or I should say ensure, that uh, Republican support for Israel remains as strong as it has. And, uh, Which you've been doing message. a great job Thank with. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, the, the, there is zero daylight among Republicans in Israel as it relates to, uh, uh, to this issue. Um, the Republicans up and down uh, are all strongly in support of Israel doing whatever it takes to finally eradicate uh, and rid Israel from the threat of Hamas ever. Uh, it's going to be a um, difficult, brutal, ugly process, uh, and it's incredibly important that the U.S. gives Israel the latitude and the time uh, to really do what it takes, because in the next week or so, we're starting to see it now, and by the time this this uh, podcast airs, um, you know, I think we'll see even more of it, but already, you know, segments within the international community, um, within the media, within the college campuses and elsewhere here are already calling and putting pressure for a ceasefire before Israel's real operations have even begun. So uh, it's important for President Biden and the administration to continue to give Israel the latitude, uh, despite what we're likely to see from uh, the Europeans and the international community and the UN and all the others that are going to be clamoring for uh, for the U.S. to, to try and rein Israel in. This is not the right. time to be reined in. It's the time for victory. Right. Well, I want to talk about the college campuses, but let me ask you this question because it'll probably be, it is similar to a 9-11 question, but where were you when you got the news about the invasion or the attack? Interestingly enough, um, and I probably shouldn't admit this, but I just coincidentally was in Vegas. I was it was eleven o'clock at night, and I was at a poker table playing poker when that my phone started. Uh, yeah. When my when at the win when my phone started going off, and I was seeing all the initially just the reports of the rocket attacks, uh, the barrage of, of rocket attacks that were being fired on uh, uh, on Israel, and, and most of which were being intercepted by Iron Dome. And then subsequent to that, on social media, I started to see the. Incursions uh, and the breach of the border, and then the, the horrific pictures uh, 
you know the horrific pictures that we saw of, of the innocent people being killed and slaughtered, yeah. and you know there was somebody who was a, a um, pretty uh, significant uh, poker player who was also an Israeli who was at the table You're with me kidding. and we had known each other, and I shared with him, and he quickly got on the phone with his family or tried to get on the phone with uh, his family. He was unaware of what was going on, and uh, you know, so we sort of went through that together and uh, dealt with it and uh, uh, one of the rare instances where uh, I marshaled our team uh, you know including my folks on the the west coast who were up obviously at that hour but also our other staff uh, because it was Shabbos uh, you know we we have a pretty firm policy of not doing anything publicly uh, from the RJC perspective but this was such an important nature that we you know we got a statement out and we started working the phones and doing all the stuff uh, that normally we would defer until uh, until after Shabbat, but it was, you know, that lives important. were on the line and, and people needed to know and it was important for um, for us to, to get engaged. I'm sure you were up all night long. I was. Was the gentleman's family safe? Uh, you know, I think the initial contacts were, were safe, but he had uh, family members who were in the IDF and, right. you know, and already and, you know, he also knew people were at the, the music festival that, you know, so I don't know the, the status of, uh, you know, where all that is. I, you know, keeping him in my thoughts and prayers and hope for, for good, I hope he got good news on all those fronts. What do you think the greatest achievement has been, or I don't know, one of the most impactful things you've been able to do recently? I know you're, you know, this work is going to be consistent, but have you had any situations where you've been able to help somebody identify someone that thankfully is alive rather than... Not so much that uh, per se. I think some of the most impactful things, and it has not been, you know, in all candor, because the Republicans are so philosophically and and, uh, emotionally aligned with Israel, it has not been a uh, uh, particularly heavy lift. But, you know, there's just a lot of spade work making sure that we're contacting all of the House and Senate leadership in the various offices on the Hill that we have relationships with, encouraging them to continue to speak out, whether it's on the floor of Congress or in statements or television appearances or things that they have an opportunity to use their platform to, uh, uh, to to stand with Israel. We're encouraging that. We're working with the uh, uh, House and Senate leadership on the aid package that uh, is going to be coming down very soon. Uh, you know, also making sure our members and leaders across the country are informed. So we've done uh, a national Zoom call with, for instance, uh, with Speaker Kevin McCarthy and Senator Lindsey Graham. That's smart. Um, and, uh, you know, we've also been doing our own media strategy, making sure that we're getting the message out in the press as well throughout all this and making sure that uh, Israel knows that, uh, uh, you know, that there is no daylight between them and the United States and, and we are strongly with them. And then on top of that, I've got my huge uh, annual conference uh, starting next week. Right. So that's, you know, that's also just taking a lot of our focus right now. And it takes, you know, given the events of uh, the past few weeks, you know, our event in, in Las Vegas, which is going to have all of the Republican presidential candidates in attendance, including President Trump. It's going to have the leadership of the House and the Senate. It's going to have governors. It's going to have rank-and-file senators and congressmen there, uh, and over 1,500 Jewish leaders from across the country. Uh, this will be an incredible show of solidarity, but the eyes of the world will be on this event, and um, people will be looking to hear what the candidates are saying, and uh, it takes on even 
more importance now. Yeah, I know. You're making me want to go every year. Uh, I can get you. You know some. You know, <laughs> know somebody. somebody. Well, it's it's making me tear up, and I can see the toll that it's taking on you. So I'll, I'll just ask one more question. But this is the question that's really bugging me because the events uh, in Israel are so difficult to digest. I, for me, but the thing that I am terribly disappointed in and I can digest is the reactions on college campuses and the anti-Semitism that's been on the rise that we've heard about but has been so much more obvious over the last week or so. So do you have any comments on that? Like, what do you think about these college campuses? I'm, I imagine you're not surprised, but you got to be a no. little bit surprised. I mean, I, I wish I were a little bit surprised, but the reality is I'm not surprised at all. First of all, as you mentioned in the intro, I went to Brandeis, which... Right. Has a long history of being, uh, you know, a very progressive, radical uh, college oh, campus. True, so right. that was true in my day back in the '80s when I was there, and it's it's even more so now. But it has spread and metastasized not just to uh, to Brandeis, but you know to you know almost every major higher education institution in in the country. Uh, certainly, all the Ivies have been corrupted by this. Uh, this is something we've been talking about for decades, and it, you know to see what's happening. Um, you know, on the college campuses um, to see what's happening, uh, you know, in, in the progressive left of the Democratic Party, to see what's happening in various media outlets and, and you know, in the news media in this country. The difference in why this is so, you know, we fight a lot on making sure that we combat anti-Semitism uh, on the right. Now, there's clearly anti-Semitism on the right, and there's clearly anti-Semitism on the left. Yeah. We fight very hard uh, to keep any um, emergence of right-wing anti-Semitism in, in check. But in my mind, uh, left-wing anti-Semitism for our community, for the country, is much more dangerous because unlike the white nationalists and the neo-Nazis and the, the white sheep wearers, um, you know, on the left, these people are all integrated into our societal institutions. They're integrated into teaching our kids in colleges. Yeah. They're you know, with the professors who are, who are out of touch and the school administrators who promote this, you know, who promote this anti-Zionism. Anti-Zionism is anti-Semitism. Uh, and it's, it's uh, very dangerous that, you know, within the media, within the higher education, uh, within the, the college campuses, and the education system as a whole. I mean, I shouldn't just say higher education because it's happening right. in high schools and, and below. Um, you know, it's the, that's the difference between right-wing and left-wing anti-Semitism. This is entrenched um, you know, we have we have anti-Semites serving in in Congress right now, correct? Um, and so they've become, the, you know, like I, I said, metastasized earlier. But it's like a cancer, and it's weaving its way into the fabric of our society uh, through the institutions that the left has, has co-opted. You know, Ed, well, we know it's been growing. I was at a fundraiser the other day, a pro-Israel fundraiser, and someone spoke and said this is reminiscent of the pre-Holocaust era where uh, anti-Semitism was on the rise, but people who were inculcated in the community felt 
above it all, I guess for lack of a better way to say it, or just uh, not in my neighborhood, not in my community, and um, it's very, it's very disconcerting. Well, it's very upsetting. It is, and and if this is not a wake up call for us as a community and for us as a nation, then right. shame on us. If 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 people are so blinded that they can't see what's really happening, uh, then shame on us. But certainly, you know, myself, our organization, and people you and I all know have our eyes wide open and it's important that we we do that and we respond and react accordingly you are listening to lunch with shelly so tell us what does a wake-up call mean to you so you know as we've seen to their credit there's been a lot of major donors, especially as it relates to the college campuses a lot of major donors to these institutions who have said both jewish and non-jewish who have said enough is enough you know these school administrators uh, are, are allowing uh, these institutions to be co-opted it. and tolerating yep. it yep. in the, you know um, in the name of wokeness you know we have the the pendulum has shifted so much in this country uh, away from common sense toward wokeness and more importantly cancel culture has made it so that um, you know, whether you're a college administrator, you're a, a head of a organization, a CEO of a company. Corporation, right. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's gotten to the point where, you know, you're either forced because of the, the political pressure to conform to the to the narrative of the um, of, of the left wing, or it's forcing them to, to you know, remain silent. Right. And so it's stifling, um, you know, what I think for many people is, you know, common sense responses. You know, there's nothing more clear-cut, black and white, binary than being able to go out and condemn Hamas for the brutality. And yet, without equivocating, without equivocating yeah. this is not, there is no moral equivalency right. here. The, the Israelis are the victims. The Israelis are, uh, are innocent in this. And you have a brutal, thuggish, Nazi-like terror regime in Hamas funded and supported by Iran um, and we have to choose sides it's it's not an you know it, it is an either or it's not a both and the fact that people choose to ignore that or choose to conflate the two or choose to wrap the two together or choose to uh, attack Israel rather than the true terrorists, shame on them. And, and we need people, you know, we need... I would encourage you, you know, the, the, there's certain right ways this is done and I'd encourage you and I'd encourage all the your listeners to go take a look at what uh, the uh, president of the University of Miami, uh, Ben Sass, put out. Oh, I saw him, uh, yeah. Take a look at good. take a look at the speech that the progressive left wing mayor of New York, uh, Eric Adams, said to the Jewish community. These are examples of moral clarity. Richie Torres, the, the progressive congressman from New York, uh, all have said incredible things. Now, uh, President Ben Sass is a former Republican uh, senator from right. Nebraska. But I put him in there, I listed him in there with the other uh, progressive Democrats because he had the courage as a, as a college president to say what needed to be said. That's what we should be hearing. That's the, the gold standard. That's the uh, example that um, 
you know, everybody else should follow. And it, you don't have to be a former Republican senator from right. Nebraska. You could be a progressive Democratic congressman like Richie Torres or a progressive liberal mayor like, like Eric, Eric Adams. Adams. Right. And and they all, I would encourage everybody to look at their, um, their, you know, what they've said. And the word courage is giving me chills, but it is a situation now where people need to have courage. I mean, it it's does a time take for choosing. courage. Yeah. It really is. Yeah. What side are you on? Right. You are listening to Lunch with Shelly. Let's talk football. Yes. <laughs> what Ooh. side are you on? Well, I'm on the same what side as you, you are. On? I'm I on the same side as you I've are. I've become this huge Eagles fan. So Go Birds. Tell us, tell us a little bit about where you're from and the beginning uh, up to the present of your true undying love for the Eagles. So it's it's uh, having grown up uh, in one of the suburbs outside of Philadelphia. Um, you know, I've been an Eagles fan my whole life. I've been a Flyers fan. You're Phillies. actually wearing green today. I am wearing uh, <laughs> Uh, green, yeah. uh, big week for uh, for Eagles fans. The the return uh, this week, uh, which will probably be before this airs, but uh, of the Kelly Green uniforms in our game on right. Sunday against Miami. So, uh, how do you feel about the color? Oh, I love it. I love it. I'm I, having a hard time getting used to it, but my husband is a huge Eagles fan, which is why I became a huge Eagles fan. And anyway, change well, is a little you're hard from, you're for me. From there. What do you mean <laughs> now? Now you're beginning. you know why? Because I have a long history. Because my grandfather was a huge Eagles fan. My father obviously is from Pennsylvania too uh, but he um, went against the grain he used to go for coaches rather than just the hometown team mm, okay. so he was a Pats fan he was been a Bucks fan a Miami fan I mean really he's a tried and true Penn State fan okay but then for you know the National League or the Professional League yeah he was all over the place but he's now he's for the Eagles too uh, good and we'll, we'll take we'll flying. take all of you yeah yeah, we'll take all of you. So, um, but yeah, I love the Kelly green. To me, that's the color that you know when I was growing up. So, to me, the Eagles' color has always been Kelly green. I was so disappointed, uh, you know, when it was phased out in uh, the late two thousand. I mean, in the early two thousands, and uh, I'm so excited to have thing. it back. Yeah. So, are you buying all new apparel? Uh, I am buying all new apparel. I <laughs> For bought the whole the, family. Bought, his uh, son is his best. Well, his son and his daughter and his wife. They're very close family. But your son is. A big Eagles fan too, he right? Is. Everybody he is. or just uh, uh, every, no, no, everybody. Uh, this okay. is this is where good spousal and, and parenting <laughs> skills come in. Right. You know, everybody uh, with the surname of Brooks is uh, is a died in the wool uh, Eagles fan. So. so, what's your favorite thing that you bought in Kelly Green? Uh, Jason Kelsey jersey. Nice. Yes. I want to tell everyone that Matt and I are having the same meal, which is seared tuna. Kona crusted with Kona Kona crusted with uh, fantastic ginger rice and Bernays sauce because it is a low, low calorie Bernays sauce. It is low calorie. But yeah. it is absolutely delicious. So, pause to say thank you, Captain Grill. This is a delicious meal. And to note that you can go to the Capitol Grill and order non-meat and yeah. still have a great meal. a fantastic meal. And our engineer, the wonderful Blanca, is having this salmon that looks extraordinary. And I think she would also like to say that the salmon is delicious. 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 Oh, and it has it's mango. It's funny, we're all three uh, fish having eaters fish? At, the, at the steakhouse today. Yeah. I don't 
usually have steak during the day? Oh, I, used to, I, I usually have steak breakfast, lunch, and dinner. You know, like, you know, I'm definitely a vegetarian. So. Well, okay, so let's get into your foodie tendencies. So how long have you been, quote-unquote, a foodie? And I want to explore that. If foodie is meant to be... Uh, is defined as being a lover of food. Correct. You know, my whole life. Uh, really? You were an adventurous eater even as a young oh, kid? Oh, yeah. And I had a mother who encouraged all that and who also encouraged me to start cooking, which is really also a passion Part of, of being a foodie. I mean, yeah. I'm a foodie and a non-cook, but you do it all. Yeah, I mean, there are there are certain people who, uh, as they say, uh, love to eat. There are people who eat to live. I'm a person who loves to eat. So. Right. Me too. Yeah. So what is your favorite food from lunch, since we are at lunch with chefs? It's, it's so hard to answer because there's it depends not, on the it's situational, right? The day, exactly. right. It's, uh, you know, you, uh, it, it's all where are you at if we were having uh, lunch in Capri today, we right. would uh, we would have a different so, lunch than we well, have. Well, not terribly different. We'd be having grilled fish. Or pasta or, or whatever. Pasta. But, right. Uh, Actually, we'd be having like six courses. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, it's it's um, yeah, it's it's hard to say that there is a favorite because it all just depends what you're in the mood for that it's day. It's situational, yeah. and exactly. And to your point, it's the same thing. I mean, I'll go to one restaurant and I'll order the cob. I'll go to another restaurant and I'll get the burrata with prosciutto. I'll go to another restaurant and I'll have oysters and fish tacos. Like, it, I, I agree with you. It's a hard question, but I have to ask because we're focused on lunch. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's a fair question. It, but you know, for me, it's a it's an impossible question to answer, just because uh, uh, you know it's it's just I don't think it's quantifiable. It's an easy you know one favorite. So. Well, breakfast, lunch, or dinner. I will you, say I am not a breakfast eater, so that's me one either. Thing. So right, I will you not, and I have that in common. I yes, used to be. But I'm not. But regardless of breakfast, lunch, or dinner, though, can you name three or four of your very favorite foods, like sort of last meal things you'd want to eat? Sure. I know, because that's hard too, but you can come up with that. Yeah, I mean, if I was going to have my last meal on death row... Correct. Uh, and they were going to execute me sometime between October fifteenth, between October fifteenth and May fifteenth, which coincides with the the uh, stone crab season. I would, oh, have, I would nice. have stone crabs. Okay, as, very as good. Probably to start with a good uh, mustard sauce, jumbo stone crab, or colossal. Colossal. Know, colossal. colossal. I love that word. Uh, well, the one thing I would not have any of is, as you know from me, no salad, no fruits, no vegetables. <laughs> right. uh, Just a waste. Which uh, exactly it's filler. So it's my last meal. Um, I would uh, probably go for an incredible pasta. Uh, White or red? Good question. Uh, I know maybe, because the cream sauce is so maybe good. Maybe carbonara. Really? Yeah. Okay, so that's uh, red sauce also, with meat. No, uh, uh, cheese and egg and, and guacamole. 
But isn't that red too, carbonara? No, the, really? the guanciale version of that for red is is a matriciata. Both are Roman uh, pa, uh, pasta matriciata. You're using two words that I don't even know, and I am a foodie. Which Roman or a matriciata or guanciale? <laughs> where did where did I lose guanciale you, Shelley? Guanciale and what was the second oh, word? Guanciale is is the smoked pork jelly. Guanciale. With a G or a C? Guan with a G. Okay. Guanciale. Yeah. Uh, which is pork jowl okay. uh, that you use. You 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 uh, saute it up so it gets crispy, and then added the pasta with egg yolks and uh, pecorino romano cheese. Not, which is not a carbonara. This is a guanciale. No, this is a carbonara. With guanciale is the meat. Okay. You, you saute off. So it is a carbonara. Uh, uh, add the pasta, add some beaten egg yolks with pecorino romano cheese. Okay. Uh, it'll emulsify and be delicious. You do not want to use true, true carbonara. This is important. Is pecorino romano cheese only, never, never parmesan. That's very good information. Very good information. Yeah. Information you can use. I Okay, and what is the what was the second word? A matriciana is very similar in that it's the guanciale, uh, and you sauté that down, and then it's a tomato based. Uh, okay, so a carbonara is just egg and I can't believe I'm getting schooled with you. Uh, egg yolk and, and cheese, basically. Pecorino, not parmesan. Correct. And then the guan guanciale is the with pork is, cheek. Is, is Does it have used, to be you, pork cheek? Yes, people okay. either use pancetta or guanciale. Pancetta is like I think Italian I prefer bacon. pancetta. I've but the traditionalists in Rome will only use guanciale. Fascinating. And then the third word is the M word. Say that again. Amatriciana? Yeah, amatriciana or matriciana? No, amatriciana. Okay. Amatriciana. And that is with the pork. The guanciale plus tomato, tomato sauce. sauce. Yes. So which one do you want? <laughs> I want. Side by side, a half order of, of each on the, okay. and I'll do them together, like so a little tasting. One what, dish, a two plain little one uh, with the pork cheek, the and then another one, and one with, with the red sauce. And okay. then I would also, my third thing on my death row. Would it have to be a steak for you? Uh, well, I'm wrestling whether I think steak, veal chop, or lamb chop. I'm thinking probably lamb chop. Really? Yep. That was not what I would have guessed. Yeah. Well, I got to keep you guessing. I know. I do my lamb the, the traditional way. Uh, it's really one of my signature dishes, actually. Uh, I uh, trim it off. I trim the the rack of all the fat cap on top. Uh, I cover it in uh, Dijon mustard. And then I roll it in a crust of panko breadcrumbs uh, with the Dijon axis of glue. Uh, panko breadcrumbs with a lot of uh, herbs, so rosemary in particular, some thyme, um, and uh, put that. And then Are I, you neurotic I about your herbs being terribly fresh? Yes. Okay. Yes. You are listening to Lunch with Shelly. So I uh, was fortunate. So as we said, I've uh, taken my cooking very seriously. So I I was fortunate enough uh, a couple years ago uh, to spend two days in what's called a stage, which means which is a French word for apprenticeship in, in a kitchen. I was spent two days in the kitchen cooking. Uh, at the end of Little Washington. You're kidding. Yes. When did this happen? Uh, it was for my 50th birthday, so like six or seven years ago. Holy smokes. Uh, 
phenomenal. I bet. But was it a gift? It was a gift. That's the greatest and gift ever. I'll send you a picture ever. of that yeah, for, the, yeah, yeah. for the podcast okay. as well. Uh, it was the greatest gift ever. Best gift I've ever gotten. From uh, your wife? From my wife and family. Wonderful. Um, you'd be amazed at how much butter, butter <laughs> goes into all these, these dishes. So. Well, the inner little Washington is so terrific. Such a Nelson special place. It's so special. We've been there more than a handful of times, and it is always amazing, but... We've also watched the documentary yep. and uh, lots of different celebrations that they've had. And everything that we see is just really, it's just such an extraordinary backstory and it continues to be such an extraordinary Patrick place. Patrick is, is, is so creative, is, beyond creative. Yeah. It, we are blessed to have him in our midst. I mean, we really Jacques are. Yeah. yeah. It's such a visionary and to, to imagine and to uh, uh, sort of see the realization of this vision that he is uh, that he has put together. Uh, it's, it's sort it's, of like the making of lunch with Shelley. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, sort of back to being in the kitchen, were you just so excited? You were obviously all of the white outfits with everybody else, and did you get directed? Oh yeah. Were they mean to you? Like no, were they like hurry no, up? Or no, did you pass no. mustard? No, Quite they literally. were they were great. Um, they, uh, were there other civilians, or was it just you? Uh, no, it was just me. You and their regular team for two days. With two days. And they didn't have to teach you because you were so advanced. But what if uh, somebody bought me that? I'd probably become a server or a bartender. You know, I wonder. I don't know. Like, what happens if you're really not worthy? Uh, I don't know if they uh, would accept well, I, well, me. I well, mean, if I were paying, they sort of have to. Or yeah, not really? I mean, it, it, really, everything is is tailored toward um, your experience level. So I assume they give you stuff based on uh, uh, what they what they view is right. uh, you're capable of. It was literally one of the greatest experiences of my life, and so I got to. And the culmination. Did you uh, learn how to make things super beautiful like they do, or yeah, did you learn? how to make things. No, both. And, and, and to me, that was one of the things I really wanted to get out of it was how to do a better job plating because uh, they're so creative. And it's, it, you know, I'm lacking the artistic gene to understand, like, this is a palette. I love that building. you, yeah, that you even use the word plating. <laughs> um, as opposed to plopping. As opposed to plopping. <laughs> um, so that was great to learn that. Then I wanted to do, a, I uh, asked to focus uh, some special attention on pasta making, which we did, and also how to butcher, uh, you know, because they get big sides of beef, fish, those kind of things. So they have to be broken so down. So you learned how to do that? So I got my some work on my nice skills. You. Yeah. But so what do you hear, um, just from the butchering aspect, did you learn that you should prefer something that you didn't know that you should prefer as opposed as as uh, with regard to a cut of meat? Yeah. Well, I don't know. Like, I mean, if you're getting corned beef or brisket, right? Yeah. Like, I think you want the second cut. Is that correct? Uh, no, you want the first cut. First cut. You want first cut. Okay. But uh, we didn't get into that because we broke. I mean, we had the what the, the were called primals, which are quarter animals, and we break them down into various pieces. I think I, I broke down a uh, uh, a whole lamb or something when I was there. It was uh, you're kidding? Oh, that was a lot of fun. Really? Yeah. Well, I mean, just to 
finish with this. Like, what did you learn, though? Like, Better knife skills, how to think okay. about creatively plating. Uh, got some, some real-world experience and practice on, on my pasta game, which I definitely want to elevate. And how can you possibly elevate a pasta game? Uh, you can by practice, and it's one of the things I don't do. Uh, I have not practiced nearly enough. We just got back from Italy this summer, and we took a class. And right. It got me energized to uh, uh, to really try and learn uh, how to do it. I just need to do it over and over and over again. It's just it's, it's like anything. But it's what just is practicing. the it? Is it the ingredients? Is it the I mean, al dente of the, the pasta? No, the al dente I can get, but right. pasta is like literally it's one a of canvas. those. Yeah, but it's 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 one of those things. that's literally three ingredients. Right. And the difference. Oh, you're making your own you're pasta. Oh, okay. and the difference, <laughs> you know, the difference um, between really like mind-blowing, amazing pasta and garbage is like, but it's the same three ingredients that everybody is working with. Right. You know, it's it's like. It, it's it's so what flour, is the eggs, and, and oil. I right. mean, that's it. Is the difference love? It's all the love is so important, right? right. But it's also experience and practice and knowing how to uh, read the dough and do all this stuff and adjust for temperature and humidity. And, you know, like the notice. You know, the, the grandmothers who've been doing it for 80 years, they, they know what they're doing. Right, by feel. And exactly. also love. Exactly. All right. Well, let's move to wine. <clears throat> okay. So here's my question. I know you don't discriminate. Between yes. red and white. Correct. But do you have a preference? My preference is always whatever's in my hand. Je and what would be the craziest bottle of wine if somebody said, Matt, you could have any bottle of wine right now, what would it be for you? Like, what would you pine for? Be like, holy smokes. Money uh, not included. Not Price good. not included. Uh, so I would, I would probably go for like sort of, you know, there's a handful of, of really sort of signature wines that are that are widely regarded as some of the greatest wines ever made. So uh, 61 Cheval Blanc would be one that I would love. Uh, 47 Petrus or Cheval Blanc are amazing. My goodness. Uh, and just, you know, once-in-a-lifetime opportunities to, uh, to to try those, especially because there's fewer and fewer of them left. I, I was going to say, are these auction wines? Uh, they're auction wines, yeah. Okay. You have to, and if you're are auction wines, you got to make sure you're dealing with a uh, reputable auction house that is that is verified the provenance of the uh, of the wine and the seller that it came from. And are we in five figures, six figures, or more? Uh, per bottle, probably five figures. Well, that's somewhat more reasonable. <laughs> I think our time with Matt is coming to a no, close because he no, is the most important person no. and he's doing li- quite literally God's work. But Matty, I want to thank you so much for your time. You know I adore having lunch with you, but Likewise. I'm so, so happy that you came on the podcast and agreed to have lunch with well, Shelly. Thank you. I'm honored to be asked. I am, you know, long-term listener, first-time caller. <laughs> Well, it's just been wonderful, and I also want to thank my very new and very beautiful friend, Blanca, who has been so terrific in engineering with us today. Um, Maddie, thank you for being here. Listeners, we hope you really liked this episode. This was very important. 
uh, to put out. I hope you like this information, and I hope uh, when we listen to this, when you listen to this, the world is a little more peaceful. Let's hope. Amen. Thank you very much for tuning in, and uh, Maddie, again, thank you so much. Blanca, thank you so much. And in the meantime, peace, love, and lunch. (laughs) Ha, 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 ha.